coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. But when there's other people doing exactly what you're doing, how does someone choose you over another? That's kind of the thing. Mm. So when you look at the shelf and you've got Coke and Pepsi there, why the hell are you picking one over the other? There's an element of branding and obviously marketing, you know, shelf placement and all the rest of it. But if you take away the design element, you're left with a cola drink, which a lot of people can't tell the difference from. Um, The difference there is the creative behind it. This is Ahmed Chimla and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you could take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, we're talking to Reagan McCrill, aka Frank. Frank is a brand identity designer from Sydney, Australia. His branding consultancy, G'day Frank, works with clients around the world to develop their brand identity and brand experiences, specifically working with those in tech, health and wellness, as well as home and living industries. He's a husband, father of two kids, Star Wars fanboy, podcaster, and is a designer with 15 years of experience. In this episode, we dive deep into the definition of branding, demographics and psychographics, running a business, creating a podcast, and much, much more. Now, here's Frank. All right. Good day, Frank. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for for joining the show. Uh, For the audience that may not be familiar with who you are, uh, can you give them a brief introduction, uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, cheers, Ahmed. Um, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Frank. Uh, my actual name is is Reagan. I go by Frank. It's my middle name. It's named, named after both my grandfathers. Um, it's easy to use, easy to remember, easy to spell, a bit like a brand uh, name should be. Funnily enough, I'm in branding. I run my own branding business called G'day Frank. It's based in here uh, here in Sydney, Australia. been doing it now for a bit over three years. Um, prior to that, I worked in television television production for seven or eight years. Um, doing identity design there for really big, glitzy, glamour kind of shows. Um, and then now it's it's me in my humble office running a, a family business between myself and my wife um, for this branding business and also helping my wife with a, a jewellery business of all things, a bit different, but we brand the hell out of it. And uh, I'm working with small to medium businesses um, both here in Australia and abroad um, on develop, developing their brand identities and then deploying that into real world to make it uh, something that they can connect with their consumers. Um, I I call branding captivating moments of connection um, to make it really simple for everybody to understand. So with that, I'm always learning new things. I'm always happy to offer what I'm learning to to other people that are getting into it or that are in it in the trenches alongside with me. Um, And it's super fun. So that's where I'm at today. I'm a father, husband as well. Um, and uh, just going about my business. Awesome. Frank, you, you kind of touched on this uh, in there, but one of the things that is interesting is, you know, brand and branding has different definitions depending on who you talk to. Uh, and yours is actually one that I find pretty unique and um, something that is different from a lot of the other definitions that I've seen. So um, can we can you touch on that? I mean, you talked about captivating captivating moments of connection. Yeah. And what is your definition of brand uh, and branding, and yeah, how did yeah. you come to those definitions? Yeah, it, it's uh, a bit of an epiphany. I, I'll, I'll rewind nearly six months now to about uh, I think it was May June, and I was in a bit of a slump in terms of what direction I was going in. 
what I was offering. I, I was looking down the road of you know making podcasting a th- like a, a main part of my service to to brand podcasts for people. I found there wasn't that much money in it, um, so that was a, a road um, that I wish I'd travelled a bit less than I did. Um, and came back to centre of going, okay, I need to I need to do what I do for my clients for myself because I was one day laying on the floor going. What the hell do I do next? How do I get out of this and into something that I can get back into my groove of working with people that that need this kind of work? And how do I frame this in my mind so I can communicate this better and um, find my own, you know, if it's values, if it's a purpose, if it's whatever it is. Um, I was like, okay, well, I've got a whiteboard here in this office. Why am I not using it? I've got nothing really on the cards for this next you know, week or two. Let's just hold aside, you know, a day and just have at it. And so, you know, picked up the marker, got on that whiteboard and just wrote everything that I would that I would do for a client. And then out spits this interesting concept of three values of connection, captivating, and uh, clarity. Um, within that, there was different attributes, like having a frank personality, embracing the name, um, and... And then the connections that I want to make with people that are, it's a service-based business. And then the whole captivating part of me showing up on social media, in a podcast, my site, all the different places that people can interact with me. It's to try and capture that attention, to make it captivating, to want more, to stay present and, and, and engage with it. That's why I use pink. That's why you see my peanut head everywhere on all my content. I do silly things like putting on a wig and doing you know crazy videos so it kind of that brought me to center and I was like okay well, I've got three values here you know there's a bit of alliteration kind of with three C's and um, is there something in this and I kind of you know you can take the values and put that potentially into a, a positioning statement or something like that and I was like okay how could I how could I put that into a sentence that makes it coherent at least to me maybe to others externally doesn't have to and i came up with this line of captivating moments of connection from clarity and that for me sums up what it is i do that's my purpose of as a branding person i'm creating captivating moments of connection between my clients and their consumers or their own clients or the customers or audience whoever they are from moments of clarity and clarity is branding it's understanding Mm. who you're trying to connect with how you can c- create these captivating moments and when they need to happen and why they happen. And it, it for me, was just like just ticking boxes. And I was like, damn, this, this feels good. This is an epiphany moment. And so I was like, okay, so what's my definitions here then? Because you hear all different, different definitions. There's Martin Neumeier's gut feeling about a person, product, or service. Um, there's there's other weird and wonderful ones. I've heard some interesting ones, and it really comes down to how you apply it in real world, how you can connect the dots for yourself and what you offer, especially as a branding person. Um, it, it's it's a very subjective kind of thing. It's weird that it doesn't have its own definition like a plumber does. They fix taps and, and anything to do with, with water or electrician, anything to do with like, like it. It makes sense. You understand a pilot flies a plane. A branding person, what the hell do they do? Do they make pretty logos? Do they help people with strategic decisions? What What's the gamut? So it's pretty broad. Um, so for me, to, to add a very broad definition, it's captivating moments of connection. And that for a brand can happen at any time. If you're an existing customer or a new customer, 
Um, you might remember a brand for a certain moment in time, something very nostalgic back when you were a kid. Um, it could be just that first initial impression you have of a business when it comes to market or it comes in front of you. You go, whoa, I need to get my hands on that or a new product. Again, same thing. It could have a sub-brand to it. Um, so, when, you know, like a new iPhone comes out, it's like, oh, my God, I need it. Um, that that kind of connection you have with something happens because it's been put in front of you to captivate your attention and make some kind of connection beyond just the product or service that is being offered or even just the, you know, even if it's a podcast, like the, the actual thing that you're listening to, there's something beyond that that you're connecting with it. Maybe it's the the person's demeanor, the, the personality, whatever it is. Um, so it, it kind of fit into a lot of different boxes. And I was like, damn, that's, that's pretty good. And just tacking on from clarity at the end of that sentence it makes my definition of branding. So, mm. you know, you, to brand, you need to find some clarity here to be able to connect with those people in a manner that they're going to be captivated by and then be interested in and engage with as a result of it. And it, it works quite well and you can even align it i found in my workshops that i do with my clients before we go into brand identity design of making their logo and their messaging and all the rest of it of saying okay how do we captivate someone's attention is it from our you know website is it from social media ads is it from a skywriter in the sky um what's that first initial connection point that captivates their attention then how do they connect with us as a result of that how do we lead them through our funnel into you know an, an email list potentially or grabbing their phone number to give them a call they might you know send you a, a message via uh, Instagram whatever that might be to then have these these moments and then the clarity side of things is like do, do they need what we need do, do they is this exactly what we can offer them is fitting a need or a want depending on which one it is and you can kind of just see how how that brings in somebody into the business funnel because there's, there's a brand thing there and then there's a the business thing they work hand in hand but yeah for me it was just a it was like okay i'm happy with this it works and mm. i've applied that now for the last few months and it, I, I see it clicking put it that way i think one of the things that you highlighted here um this the process of coming up with uh that definition and the process of coming up with your uh, branding and how you work with clients is how much of, you know, it's not easy coming up with that clarity. And I, I guess the question I have is, you know, for the audience that may be listening, they have their small businesses, like what are some things that they can do to come up with these moments of clarity? Um, yeah. Besides, of course, work with uh, Frank and team. <laughs> you know, is, is there anything they can take yeah, uh, practically from this episode? Absolutely. I, I think I was talking about about this to a client yesterday and they said, you know, Frank, how, how have you taken everything that we talked about in a workshop for, you know, two, three hour sessions with them and then made this, like, how do, how, how do you do that? What's the secret source? And I was like, Oh, I'll take that secret source. I, I, I wish I knew. And I'm, I'm at some point I'll formulate it into something that makes sense for other people to kind of get it. But the way I guess you can go about it somewhat systematically, if you were going to do this for yourself is to think of not just what you are offering, but work backwards from that. You know, why would someone need this? How would they use it? How would they go about finding it um, or discovering it, that kind of thing? Um, and what 
that need or that want is that's the precursor to then want to find that, to then want to have that or, or need it or whatever. So if you kind of work backwards from what it is you're offering and, and, and do it that way, even either before you've made the product or after uh, to kind of fit the mold of how am I going to sell this or how am I going to solve their problem, um, you get an understanding of how you can then create language, how you can create certain a uh, look and feel and tone about what it is you're trying to sell and offer um, to a particular audience or customer. So that way you're not dilly-dallying around and, and trying to find and, and, you know, you're throwing a dartboard, throwing a dart at a dartboard rather than just throwing it at midair and just hoping there's something at the other end that it's going to hit. Um, so, you know, you can do things like niching your your scope of where you're going to play so it could be a particular person in a particular town, in a particular industry, in a particular uh, point in time in their life, a particular gender. Uh, understanding these kind of things, and it's either demographics or psychographics. And so the best kind of example of how you find that clarity that I've kind of discovered in a very, very simple manner is uh, by a guy named Mark Ritson. You can find him kind of anywhere. Does a lot of talks on YouTube that you can see. Um, he has a M- mini MBA course that you can do in brand management. Um, but it's trying to find you're trying to uh, do some research on your market, but then target somebody. And then how you target them is your strategy. So how could I get in front of them basically and make them want to buy or keep buying? How do I do that? And then from there you get tactical. You then, you know, create your logo and colors and all that sort of fun stuff that everyone wants to tick the box off. But then it's packaging or shelf placement or positioning your shop in a place where people have, you know, interaction with you. There's foot traffic there. If you're in the middle of nowhere, how are you going to get people to come to you? These kind of things. And that's a case of marketing. But for you, it, it all at the start there it keeps coming back to who is that person um, is it everybody or is it somebody? Sometimes it can be everybody, and that makes it really hard, especially to be competitive. Now, I mean, you work at Amazon, so that you, you're marketing to everybody. It's really hard, but you have billions of dollars and trillions of dollars to work with, and so you mass market. For somebody that is a bit more specific, like I'm working with a lot of real estate agents lately, it can be much more targeted. So you can target a specific person in a certain geographic location that needs to sell a house or buy a house or rent a house or manage a property that they have in their portfolio. So you can get quite specific with their language of saying, okay, somebody in Sydney that wants to, that has a $2 million budget looking for a three bedroom home, guess what? We do that. We have that. This is what we offer. And this is why you might want to choose us over somebody else and make it something that you can connect with, maybe based on the person that they might align with. If it's a $2 million house, they're going to be pretty well-off kind of people. You want to appear as somebody that has their shit together, um, that that looks the part, that makes them have the confidence that you can either help them buy a $2 million house or sell their $2 million house. So there's 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 a lot to it, I've got to say. It, it really does depend on the kind of business or the even personal brand that you are of who you need to align with. Um, but it starts to kind of lead you down paths that make a little bit more sense rather than going, I've got a product here, everybody buy it. It'll happen. It'll it'll work. Like sometimes hell it might, but 
you need to be a bit more strategic sometimes. I mean, I don't like the word strategy, but it's it, the root of it. It's trying to find a plan and a direction of where you're going to go next so that you don't waste your money. You don't waste your time. Um, you, you're going to walk away with something. As a result of it, it could be profit. It could be better connections with people. You know, Even if you're a charity, you're helping somebody, um, all, all these kind of things. So if you if you take it always back to that customer, it's very cliche, but you know it, it will hopefully lead you down the right path to people that are interested in what it is you have to offer. Mm-hmm. Now, in there, you mentioned uh, two things, demographics and psychographics. Um, I'm not, I don't think I've heard the word psychographics before. Uh, could you just explain what that means and what the difference is between demographics yeah, and psychographics? Absolutely. Good point. So demographics is your typical gender, uh, age, location, marital status, um, how many kids you might have, what kind of house you might live in, those, those kind of not materialistic, but statistical kind of things that you can get a sense of. So when you have, I don't know if you're in your country, you have a census in Australia, we have a census and it's, it's statistical things of where you live, how many people live in your house, how old those people are, all that kind of stuff. That's demographics. That can reveal some things, you know, if, if your brand is aimed at teenage women um, for clothing, you're probably not going to target men and you don't really need to know too much more there potentially if you want to be a bit more broad. If you want to get a bit more specific, psychographics is more the mental side of things. What's going on in someone's life to need something like you have? So the example I gave before of a real estate agent, the psychographic part is there that someone wants to sell their home. Uh, at the moment, they either want to retire or they want to upsize, let's say. They want to buy a better, bigger house. What's the pain point there? Is there a pain point there? That can be a psychographic realization of what you are then going to turn that around to make sure that you're the person that can solve that pain point. So you might have a backstory of somebody. They yeah, they might be 33 like I am. Um, they might have a, a certain uh, house that they have that they bought when they're in their 20s, lucky them, um, and now they want to you know, upgrade here. They, they have, their family's growing. They've got three kids now. They didn't have any when they started. They've got not, not enough bedrooms to fill everybody, um, but they've only got a certain budget. That's the pain point. They're trying to find a house that can accommodate all of this in their budget, in a location that they're happy with, that would be safe for their children, all the rest of it. That's psychographic information right there. It's quite specific and it might not be for everybody, but that might be someone that might be a typical buyer or seller in this case, Um that you're engaging with on a day-to-day. It doesn't need to be every single person that you're likely to engage with, but if that's the kind of general, typical kind of need or want that someone has, you flip that. You turn it into a solution of how you can solve that problem. So what would the ideal outcome be for them? And then how can I do that for them? How can I get them to that point? And getting them to that point should be your service or your product, whatever it might be. Um, you know, if for me was people trying to start a podcast, they don't know how to start, what mic to use, all these kind of things, they're pain points. What they want to achieve is create a great podcast that they can be confident and happy with and keep producing episode after episode. What I would provide with them is the structure involved to make that happen, to get them you know, in front of a mic com- with confidence, being able to speak on a topic that they're really interested in and keep doing it. 
make it look nice and pretty and attractive to other people as well so that, you know, they're going to have some people, you know, listening and it keeps that confidence up to keep making more. That's that's pretty much it. That's how we would analyze how to make sure that, I'm not sure, you have to still kind of test that, but at least have a pretty decent educated guess of how you're going to approach this. You can go one step further by doing testing and, and surveys of people, um, but a lot of the time in, in in surveys and psychographics and things like that, what someone says they might do and what they actually do can be very different. So you kind of mm. got to rely on hard data just as much as uh, quantitative data. Sorry, qualitative data rather than quantitative. Quantitative data is the hard kind of facts. Qualitative is the kind of not wishy-washy, but it's what people kind of say rather than, you know, do sometimes. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot in there to kind of take away from. But, it yeah, it, it's always dependent on uh, the person or the people involved. And, you know, psychographics can get a little bit unhelpful when you're doing B2B uh, kind of business, mm. business to business kind of interactions. So you, instead you might do something like segmentation. So you segment the market, you've got all these different kind of potential targets, and then you segment the market into something that, okay, what's their kind of need here? What kind of people do we, you know, do they need to trust here to make something happen? So for me, if a business owner isn't happy with their logo, who do they turn to? They turn to someone like me. I'm not looking for a particular type of individual and what their problems are that's happening at home and all that kind of stuff. What I'm concerned more with in terms of segmentation is that I'm working with businesses that can A, afford me, B, can see some uh, considerable change in terms of ROI based on people engaging with their business. Um, so there's some criteria there of these are the kind of people that I can likely work with and you segment the market based on that. Do they offer repeat business? The, these kinds of things that um, can can make sense. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it, I've got to say. If I had to if I had to boil it down to like you know one word answers, I would say here, here's what I'm getting. So demographics is your census data, and then psychographics is like your just getting in the mind of the people. Absolutely. Is that yeah? I think that's okay. good. That's a fair assessment. What I wanted to take this conversation to next is some objections that I that I've seen. I think there's two ends of the spectrum, right? So there's uh, there's one end. So people that are more from the design background. Uh, or branding background, or you know, they've studied this stuff, uh, and sometimes they will spend so much time on the branding, quote unquote, that uh, you know it it gets in the way of their execution, right? And then there's the other side where people that are just you know so confident and they're able to bring in business, however they've been doing it, uh, that they they don't see the value in actually spending time. Uh, for you know, taking a step back and understanding the branding, so I just wanted to understand, like from your standpoint, I know you you have a design background. How do you make sure that you're not spending too much time on on that phase and making sure that you have what you need, you have your moments clarity, then you're moving on, and then on the other end of the spectrum, how do you when people come and they don't actually value the branding aspect? Do you even do you have any uh, rebuttals to that, or do you just kind of let them on yeah. their merry way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, branding isn't for everybody. I think the way that it's going now is very new. Years gone by, this is something that a marketing or an advertising agency would handle a lot of the time. 
um, you, they'd have an in-house designer that would make it all look pretty and, you know, bingo. I think now there's a transition where a designer has kind of woken up a bit and had a, a moment of uh, clarity maybe that they <laughs> can understand it, or if they understand what a marketer should understand, it can make their role as a designer much more valuable. Um, so there's a bit of a shift happening here where everyone's talking about brand strategy and, oh, I'm a brand strategist. And it's like, oh, 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 you must be worth more. Probably not. It really depends on the execution. So in terms of how people value it, I've had people that I've worked with for many years before I do what I do now come to me and said, hey, man, can you help me you know, design a logo? I'm like, yeah, sure thing, but it'll cost you 10 grand because I do all this other stuff too to make sure that that logo hits the mark. I said, no, we just want a logo. I said, well... You can go find someone somewhere very cheap, it sounds like. That's not what you're looking for at the moment. That's okay. You go do your thing. If you want to come back and you want to go at this properly to something that every big-ass brand in the world freaking does and you don't want to follow those clues of success, then you be my guest. You figure it out over time. That's all good. Um, when you grow and you, you look back and go, okay, we, we need a bit of clarity here. We need a bit of direction rather than just getting the business set up. By all means, come back. That's all good. I'm not going to penalize you for that. Um, but for for some businesses, I think there's some value in it, either because someone's told them that it's worth it or that they see that success of the breadcrumbs that come before it of what needs to be done and what needs to be thought of, what needs to be considered apart from just making money. And it, it's this precursor to making the money of what makes the money kind of thing. It, it, it is... It is the product itself or it is the service itself, yes. But when there's other people doing exactly what you're doing, how does someone choose you over another? That's kind of the thing. Mm. So when you look at the shelf and you've got Coke and Pepsi there, why the hell are you picking one over the other? There's an element of branding and obviously marketing, you know, shelf placement and all the rest of it. But if you take away the design element, you're left with a cola drink, which a lot of people can't tell the difference from. Um the difference there is the creative behind it. You know, the way a logo might look, maybe if that's something that you're into, but if you took the logos away even, just the colour, red versus blue, or red, blue, and white versus red, um, between those two brands, there's a, there's a difference there. There's, there's something in it that's there's equity in that when you get to that scale. Now, I'll take it down to a more rudimentary level. If you, you're a cafe owner, how does someone pick you over the other five cafes within this square radius of less than a kilometer? Why does someone pick you? It can be your customer service. It can be the way that you present the facade of your business. It could be the minimal menu that you offer that seems a little bit more high-end, higher prices. People appreciate a higher price for whatever reason, and you seem like a, a more premium option. You have this premium coffee, all the rest of it. That's why someone comes to you. Another person might just go to 7-Eleven because they want, and they want a dollar coffee. They don't really appreciate coffee to the extent of somebody else. They go there and that's what they're experiencing that they're looking for, cheap and easy. So it, it you kind of need to fit there who you need to target. It's coming back to who who's, who's that buyer. But in that instance of a cafe owner, if you value branding in that instance rather than just making a good cup of coffee, that could differentiate from you from someone else that does it very similar to you someone that else that makes a really good cup of coffee. Or if you're in an instance where you have good food, just the same as the other people, your staff are really good, everything's very comparable, but 
the facade of your shop looks a bit average. Your menu looks like it's something out of the 80s. Um, and the, the decor inside and the plates that you use, all these kind of things, that, that adds to a perception that someone doesn't have a very confident view of. Whereas next door, it's teeming with people because it looks absolutely shit hot and you wonder why. Like that at a very rudimentary level, visually at least, can be something. Um, but then there's this other complexities to it of, of message and how you interact with a brand and buy into the feeling of a brand. Like Apple's done that very well to rather than communicate the specifics of what their products can do, which every year is very minimally different realistically to the average end user but what you're buying into is experience of you know higher quality you know it, it will do all these things to capture the moments that matter and all they're focusing on the benefits and it's done through language and that language is helps us have these moments that we go damn i need that like i i, I don't you know i don't probably don't need it i want it but it, it's those things that make some sort of connection and go, oh, I want to be part of that. I want to be, I want to be, I'm, I'm full teamed uh, in with Apple. So that's where you can value brand. If, if that's your kind of buy, if it, <laughs> if you're a milk business and that's a need, that someone just needs their milk for their coffee, it's probably just like, you'll buy the one that your mum brought, you know, back when you were a kid, you'll just keep buying the same one. It's a repetitive behavior. And still with that, you you make sure that you never change that logo. You never change that packaging because that's what someone would remember. So there's some value in knowing that and keeping that you know current so it doesn't lose that equity for people to recognize it and remember it. There's, there's a lot to it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be, be people that don't value it. All they need to do is tick some boxes, make sure that the logo is there so there's a, you know, some color on the wall to make it look you know somewhat appealing and you could be just a mechanic that is the only mechanic in town and everyone comes to you because you're the only mechanic in town. You don't give a crap about branding. It does, it's, it's irrelevant to your business, and that's okay. Uh, it, it isn't for everybody. So in a roundabout way, yes, there's always going to be people that want it, and yes, there's always going to be people that don't need it. Does everybody benefit from it? Absolutely. Subconsciously or not. I'm really surprised at your answer. I didn't think you were going to take it that way, but um, I mean, no, don't, get me, like, don't get me wrong here. I think if someone doesn't value what I do, then yeah, it's a kick in the pants, but I'm not going to get hung up on it. If they come back to me and go, Oh, actually, then I'll be like, look, we could have had this conversation. We could have been done here. Um, I've never said to somebody, if you come back to me, let me say, I told you so. I'm not that frank and, and arrogant about it, but <laughs> You know, if, if someone does, then it's like, okay, well, A, I might be more expensive than I was before, um, but B, mm. you're probably going to benefit of what I've been doing in the interim period to make this even better again. So either way, everyone's winning. It, 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 it doesn't really matter to me. I was reading through your website a little bit, and it sounds like you are self-taught. Uh, you know, you, you taught yourself everything about business and you just kind of jumped into the deep end. Uh, so I wanted to just talk about for people that are looking to make the jump, um, what are like some of the tough parts that you went through and yeah. what advice do you have for someone that is looking to leave a stable job and really take the, take the dive here? Uh, don't do what I did. Um, <laughs> I think that's because my, my situation was very unique. The, the way I 
jumped off was I had a safety net, a very good safety net um, in that I still worked with my previous employer for 18 months after the fact and and stayed on a a retainer with them to do the same things I was doing for them, but just at home doing it through my own business. Um, That's very unique. That's not going to happen to everyone. Pretty much 99% of you aren't going to do that. Even 99.999%, who knows? Um, What I will say though, is if you do want to do that, you can create a safety net and, and that's called runway. So if you can save up three to six months worth of cash in the bank, stuff it under your pillow, whatever you want to do, just don't lose it. Um, use that as that buffer zone of finding work or selling product or whatever it needs to be. Um, it might need to be more than six months. It might need to be 12 months. It might need to be 18 months. Who knows uh, for your thing to take off. And then weigh up the risk of what you are going to do to make that money back of what makes you comfortable in your life. So if you, the best thing I found was to write down all my expenses on a piece of paper and say, you know, phone, internet, rent, uh, clothing, food, travel, entertainment, whatever. What, What do I need to be happy, Frank? And from there, you get a good understanding that I need to then double that figure. And why doubling that figure, that equates for tax, that equates for expenses for the business, equates for uh, retirement. We have a thing called superannuation here in Australia where you generally pay yourself around 10% um, to hold away for your retirement. And that pretty much is that extra 50% of what you need to make. Um, You could also put savings into that you know, extra 50%. That's good and diligent of you especially if you do hold aside a higher amount of tax and then come tax time you might get a nice little refund and that could be for savings that's the best way i found to go about it especially for someone that does service-based business in terms of a product-based business i'd probably be looking for investment um if you can do that and get that off the ground then fantastic but obviously have a plan to repay it but i think if you can write down a business plan and this is where a business plan and a, a a brand kind of direction thing that I kind of do is looking again at your customers, looking at your sale price, looking at your profit margin, looking at uh, how you can bundle things to make and create more value or more perceived value at least. Uh, And then different options for making that revenue. Um, So if it, if one fails, you maybe have something as a backup you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. At the moment, I've kind of got most of the eggs in one basket, but we're starting to kind of diversify a little bit with other ways of generating some revenue. And that takes time. And you've got to be persistent with that to make sure that you're not thinking at, out of the gate that you're going to earn six figures plus. Um, it might be less for you. depends on what you need. Um, and and go at it. But then also kind of be happy with, does you do you need to have growth year on year? How do I do that? How do I increase my prices as, as such to be able to do 5, 10, 20% growth each year? Or do you need growth? I don't say, I just know I need what I need type of thing. I'm not looking for growth to expand a team or anything like that. I just want to kind of live a very simple life um, with a lot of tech stuff around me and have fun. Um, so yeah, I think if you go about it that way from a business perspective, that, that can help. But what I will say is, though, do your research. Don't be a dummy um, because that's why mm. businesses fail all the time. 
go speak to you know a, a business chamber of commerce that might put you into the shoe uh, sorry into the shoes in front of somebody that might be able to help you advise how to do all these things and make sure that you're off and running to the races there's a lot of resources online that can you know help um who i learned from was two places one called the future f-u-t-u-r um I don't need them or use them anymore because I've kind of outgrown what they offer. Um, but that helped kind of me understand as a creative, at least how to run a creative business to a certain extent. Um, and then another guy um, named Michael Jander, he's an American bloke. Um, he had run an agency for 30 years. He'd written a couple of books, puts out an insane amount of content um, himself just from his home like I do and uh, gives it all away kind of pretty much. He also has a course which if you are a freelancer, designer, branding kind of person, creative type, um, his his course is fantastic and that would probably be the same as going to see a business advisor. But what I would say in addition to that is um, have a legal person in your corner, someone that you can turn to if, if needed. You might not need them all the time. It might just be to set up contracts if you're a service provider uh, or to set up patents and trademarks potentially if you have a product or even your business name to you know trademark that. Um, and register that and then uh, more importantly is someone that does your accounts because if you're not an accountant get someone else that knows what they're doing if you pay them a retainer amount or you pay them just to do the taxes each quarter or into financial year um, yeah that it boggles my mind I don't understand it I read through the documents that I get sent and go I think you know what you're doing I people pay me to know what I'm doing um, right so you know, it's a good investment and it's, it's nowhere near the amount that I charge for what it is I do, which is good. So it becomes just a business expense and you roll with it. Um, so yeah, th- those things off the, off the bat, uh, really helped, but you know, you, you talk to other people that are either doing it, going through with you and, and take a pitch of salt, that grain of salt from each person and, and make it your own type of thing. Um, one bit, one person's process is going to be way different to how you might r- want to run your business. Uh, I've got some good friends that are very, you know, anal retentive about how they do their things, and it's like, damn, of course you are. Uh, of course you've got that, you know, lined up, just like every pen's like lined up perfectly on the table, kind of thing. It, it's next level. Whereas other people are very loosey goosey, and they don't do contracts with their clients. They they take, you know. They don't worry about a deposit up front, all these kind of things. And you're like, oh, okay, how's that going for you? And they, and they say, yeah, it's all good at the moment. And then six months later, they go, ah, I didn't get paid. So there's always learning opportunities. And I think if you if you can risk enough to start something that you believe is something that you do best, then uh, you'll figure it out and you'll have learning opportunities. You'll hate yourself. You'll love yourself. You'll get to the achievements of where you want to achieve and then go, so that's what that feels like. What do I, what do I, where do I go? What do, how do I, what do I do next kind of thing? Uh, I, my first year of business did quite well. Uh, it, it doubled my salary from my previous job and I was like, okay, so what do I do now? Like I just looked out the window and just go home. So that's what that feels like. Uh, do, does it, do I need to double this? Like what everyone else says or do I need to add more? And I was like, nah. The next year didn't do as well, and you just get this ebb and ebb and flow, and that's business. Mm. Uh, you never know what's going to come next, but if you can, if you can have at least some processes in place to to get the job done and, and focus on what you do best and the stuff that you don't do best, and you can uh, palm it off to somebody else that can do, you know, better 
um, for a cost that makes sense for you, then great. That's how I'd go about it. That's that's a really good practical advice for starting your business. I, I like I'm I'm involved with a couple of projects, and uh, the what's always shocking to me is like the design people and people that are kind of more into the branding. They're like, if we just make the branding really perfect, make the design really nice. We don't have to worry about all that stuff, right? <laughs> but like having the runway, if you don't have enough runway, you're not going to be, you yeah. know, you can't even pay your designers at that point. So. Absolutely. I mean, I the mean, case in point for me, I had a lot of runway after the first good two years of business and then COVID happened and then my runway mm-hmm. went to hell and I just had to build my business back up. And that was where I was at six months ago when I told you about my epiphany moment and everything like that. The business has turned around. Now it's doing well again. Um, it, it's just one of those things that if you're prepared for the worst times, you'll be good in those times. And then hopefully you'll be even better in the, the good times that can then kind of even it out. Um, and you can stay in the black and not sit in the red. And because that affects you mentally, especially as a creative, to, to get that creative kind of momentum. If other things are concerning you in your life, you, you're not going to be good at what it is you do. So. You, you kind of need to be a bit more future thinking. And if you do have a bit of business acumen, especially, and you do branding and you look at your branding, you can see how they both can correlate of cause and effect. So if, if, you, if you're creating great branding that's leading people into what it is you do and, and what you offer, it then creates a great result, money, you know, a better reputation, all the rest of it, more leads, more, more customers coming in the door, people knowing who you are. All these kind of things. There's there's that to and fro between the two. Um, so yeah, if you can have some business acumen, even for me, like talking to my clients, we talk about numbers. It's like okay, so what's your sales numbers now? What's your market share now? What what, what are we looking to do here? What's your sale price? What's your what's your uh, uh, wholesale price? What's your unit price? All these kind of things to get a good understanding of is what I'm going to offer you here actually do something? Because if it's not, it's no point working together. You're just going to waste your money. Um, so, you know, having that kind of understanding of the numbers at the same time as being good at what you do matters big time. Yeah, that's really, really great feedback, uh, and advice for people that are listening and myself first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what, what I was going to last thing that I wanted to touch on is, so you have three podcasts, you have two red tears, brand, my podcast, branding banter, um, and you have different formats. So like, for example, branding banter is similar to this, where you have uh, a discussion uh, and then brand my podcast is where it's just you talking. Yep. Um, what I really am interested in is like in these different formats, what have you found uh, is m- like really effective? Like what, what is what are your learnings as doing these different types of formats in the podcasting space? Uh, and then for businesses looking to, uh, start a podcast, how should they be thinking through what format uh, that they do? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got to say the podcasts that I make and none of them are, are in production at the moment. Two are, or one's pretty much finished. The Brain My Podcast one was kind of a very short 30 episode uh, stint. Um, good day, sorry, two red chairs for my good day design life kind of brand is on a bit of a hiatus until I figure out what I want to do with it. And then the branding banter ones just finished another season. So that just gives you a bit of context there where I'm at with them. It's not that I'm making like a three podcast every week <laughs> infinitely. I don't want to give that illusion. Um, but in terms of those podcasts, yes, they're different formats because they cater to different audience needs, I guess. So with a brand, my podcast, I wanted to create something that was like a free tutorial. 
something like it's on Skillshare. I probably should put it on Skillshare to make some money out of it. But um, in terms of that, it was just a really short, sharp. There are longer episodes where I do have some conversations with people that are in the podcast kind of space, but um, they're, they're just meant to be simple tutorials that you can listen to on the go rather than have to sit in front of a video, you know, TV screen or a computer screen or your phone and understand what it is because podcasting is an audio based thing. Um, so that's just short, sharp me talking about something that I know enough about to share with others that might be a few steps behind me. I'm not the podcast ex- expert. I'm not no Joe Rogan with thousands of episodes under my belt or anything like that. And a listenership to go with it. Um, the other ones, I mean, in terms of the the branding banter one that I have, we did a, the first season, which was interview based. So, so we looked at talking to other business owners that to see what impact branding had made on their business to kind of see if what it is we do actually makes a difference. And you know, the short answer is yes. Um, to what extent varied very much between each business um, because there weren't big national brands or anything like that. These are people we knew. Um, and, and what impact it made for them. Then we switched it around to be more conversational between myself and my co-host to be talking about big brands and, and understanding what the breadcrumbs that they're leaving behind in terms of success of how you could go about similar things. So we picked a handful of product and service-based businesses here in Australia that most Australians would know and maybe some people overseas would know um, and, and broke it down broke down what their positioning was, broke down what their messaging was, what their visual identity is, how they connect with their audience in terms of touch points and experience, and did that for each uh, each brand. And that, you know, again, it doesn't create a huge listenership. It's quite a niche topic, um, but it's something, I guess, for that and the other two. I won't talk too much about two red chairs because it's just about design conversations about how we came to be and, and any tips we could offer. But um, in terms of them, I, I do that for myself more probably than I do for my listeners. Just it's something that I'm interested in having a conversation about these things. And as a result of it, if it led to business or a connection with someone new, someone that does what I do, then fantastic. If someone sends me a message and there's only one person that says, this really helped me, job done. Like that for me at least is enough to mm. say I've done something good here for somebody you know, even if you have 10 listeners and someone gives you that kind of feedback, um, that, that makes it worth it to me. You're not going to make money out of podcasting, I've got to say, in terms of it directly. I mean, we put some monetization on our branding Vanda podcast. I think we've made one US dollar <laughs> over uh, 10 episodes. So it, you, you make diddly squat. If you did have, if you did want to make money out of it, you can work with sponsors, brands that fit and align with your business, but you can do it a different way. So if you're a business, you ask this in your question, if you're a business and you want to explore podcasting, use it as a lead generation tool. Either get the people that you want to work with on your podcast or use it in a way to demonstrate what it is you do best. Um, either have those that have worked with you and make it like a 20-minute, 40-minute, whatever, testimonial, um, explain the process that they went through and go through it. Uh or prospective clients use it as an icebreaker. I heard Gary Vee use this as a way to use podcasting in a marketing sense to engage with other business owners in a B2B sense, if that's what you are. In terms of a customer sense, yeah, it's a testimonial kind of thing as well. Um, 
or it's education and entertainment, those kind of things. So if, if you're a business owner and, and what it is you do is of interest to people to do a similar kind of thing, like for instance, say my wife, she makes jewelry for, for women, earrings and things. She could make a podcast about how to do that. Um, she could make a course about how to do that as well. So that's educational in that sense. And she could talk to others that do the same kind of thing, what their experience is. Or it could be a shared entertainment thing where she talks to other people like her that do what it is she do, does. And that's interesting for others like her. And it's just a, a nice way to connect with others like you and have a riff and a banter about what it is you, you all collectively do. That might get your name out there. That might get your credibility up so that one day maybe you do make a course for somebody and or you do have some product that somebody else could use to make that product that they're trying to all make, then you've got some kind of offer there to then lead people down and so on and so forth. Um, it, it really kind of does, you, you can do what you want. Like if you're a real estate agent and you wanted to make a podcast, it could be about real estate agent things or it could be totally not related to it. You could make a podcast about whiskey and each episode's a different whiskey. You sit down with somebody else in real estate or a homeowner that's just bought a home for you or a seller or whatever, um, even people in your team, and you chat about the whiskey, how's it taste, you know, it's a bit of origin story about it, a bit of backstory. But then you weave a bit about what you do in there, you know, or it's mm. sponsored by your real estate agency. Um, so it's nothing to do with what it is you do. It's something that you're just interested in and that might open up some connections to you for someone that owns a whiskey brand maybe and then they want to buy a house in your area that you facilitate and boom, bang, there's your next customer. You never know. So if you do it a little bit more genuinely rather than for a sale necessarily, um, yeah, that, that's, a, I think, a more altruistic kind of way of going about it. Well, that's really... I'm with you 100%. Like I haven't made the dollar from my podcast. Not, that's not the reason why we do it anyway. Mm. But I think one thing that I've seen that is super helpful is that it helps me stay top of mind and it helps me build authority in that space in my circles, at least. So I, I can say like, I don't know that everyone's listening to it, but like, even when I like post it, people know, oh, you know, this is my go-to for branding, or this is like, I need to talk to him if I have a question here. And so, exactly. although I don't have like a big following or anything like that, I definitely see the impact there. And I, I echo that sentiment. Yeah. So it's very, thank you so much for sharing. It's very similar to social media. I got to say, like for me on Instagram or LinkedIn, I reckon 90% of, if not more, are people like me. They're not going to buy from me. They might buy a course if I make something about what it is I do. That's where I'd use, I guess, that influence in quotations there. Um, but yeah, you attract like for like a lot of the time. I think people want to associate themselves with others that do or be inspired by or be entertained by, educated by, all those kind of things. So if you can level with people like that, if you're going to make a podcast with those people, this is where it comes back to the customer or the, the audience. Make your show for someone that you think is going to listen or appreciate listening to your show and, and make it for them. But at the end of the day as well, you just need to remember that it's not just about them or just about your next guest. If you have a guest, um, you are the star of the show. You're making a TV show, basically. If you treat it your podcast like a TV show, that'll make it put you in a bit better stead of what you're actually trying to achieve here. It doesn't need to be something that is episode after episode after episode after episode until you go blue in the face and you're just totally over it and you can't stand doing it anymore. It can be just 10 episodes, really short and sharp. A podcast could even be used as a lead generation tool, you know, something to people to sign up to your newsletter. 
But signing up to our newsletter, you get this free five, 10 episode podcast for free. You know, all these kind of things. It makes you stay top of mind and you're helping people in return for maybe just that connection. Um, if it leads to something, mm. great. If not, whatever. If people follow you on Instagram because of a bit of content you put out there, great. They might follow you for three years, engage nothing, you know, in terms of comments or saves or shares or anything like that, even a like. And they come back to you and say, I've been following you for years. I really love your stuff. Can I work with you? you know, can we work together here? I've got a business. Like, okay, sure. I'd love to have you to have connected a bit earlier, <laughs> but it's all good. Here we are. So, yeah, that's how I kind of go about it. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I know we're at time. So thank you so much, Frank, for coming on. For the audience that is interested in uh, finding you, working with you, uh, just following along, how can they uh, How can they reach you? Pleasure, Ahmed. Thanks for having me. Um, they can find me at g'dayfrank.com, G-D-A-Y-F-R-A-N-K.com. Uh, from there, you can find my social medias, podcasts, the full gamut, not where I live, but um, you'll be able to find at least a little bit about me on there. So I'd, I'd go directly there. Awesome. And we'll leave the link in the description. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks. Now, as always, I have my key takeaways from this episode, but before we get into that, I want to share a clip with you from our discussion with Sina Port on branding with values. If you are a consumer, you're probably really good at creating. So let's say you started your podcast because you're interested in podcasts, right? That's how you started? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. you listen to a bunch of podcasts and you're like, oh, okay, this is the type of podcast I like. This is not what I really like. Like, I don't like all the ads. I like this intro, like, a lot. I like kind of the deep conversation interview format more than the I'm just going to talk for an hour about a topic format. You know, like, you are going to be a really good creator because you are a really good consumer. You will know the platform more than anyone else. So understand where does your personality fit in, and then you already have an advantage to other people coming to the platform because you were already in the position of a consumer. You know what a consumer would like to see. If you enjoyed this discussion with Frank, I'm sure you'll also enjoy the discussion with Sina. Check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is episode number 36. Now here are my key takeaways. Number one, take the time to understand both the demographics and the psychographics of your target audience. This will help you make sure that you're positioning your product or service in a way that actually serves your target audience's wants and needs. And number two, there's always going to be people that don't value branding. Don't let it get to you. Everybody still benefits from it, subconsciously or not. And that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.